Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Reckless A Talk, our TTRPG interview show where we sit down with some of our favorite writers, players, GMs, and streamers to get to know a little bit more about what makes them who they are. I am, as always, your host, DM Nathan, and I am really excited to introduce you to this week's guest, Connie Chung, the GM and creative producer for Transplaner, a well-produced, all-transgender, BIPOC-led, original fantasy D&D show. There are a select few GMs in the space whose stuff I watch that almost exclusively excites me or challenges me or just otherwise blows me away, and Connie is definitely one of them. They are an absolute powerhouse, whirlwind of a creator and game designer and person, and they are absolutely filled with joy and enthusiasm and thoughtfulness. He brings so much of himself to every performance and is a really positive influence on and advocate in the space. We talk about bringing all of your experiences and passions into what you're doing, the beauty of having rules and ignoring them, taking your show seriously, and celebrating your voice and value. I don't really know what else to say. Connie is just really fantastically cool, and so is Transplaner, so I'll just get out of your way and let you listen to this episode. Enjoy, and see you on Tuesday for our next episode of Reckless Attack. How are you today? I am doing quite well. It is a dreary Boston morning, quite mm. overcast. The rain is dripping down the window, but in a really nice way. It's good for the amphibians out there. <laughs> I uh, First of all, I'd imagine many Boston days are kind of a similar vibe, at least reputationally, from what like old literature teaches me, uh, that that's just kind of You're the vibes wrong. generally. Uh, but also in, wrong. in classic Connie fashion described it very, uh, very artistically and very masterfully. Um, so for those of, for those listeners who do not know who you are and what you do, can you please tell them who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Yes. So hello, I am Connie. Uh, my pronouns are they, he and she. I am known across the internet as by Connie Chong or GM Connie Chong, B-Y-C-O-N-N-I-E-C-H-A-N-G. Um, I am the GM and creative producer for Transplaner RPG, which is an all-transgender, uh, POC-led, original dark fantasy D&D show set in an original non-colonial anti-orientalist world uh, based off of various Asian mythologies. It's about uh, hope, choice, destiny, uh, and... Uh, a queer drama set against an <laughs> apocalyptic backdrop. So if that's interesting to you, uh, we do stream our main uh, flagship D&D campaign Saturdays at 8 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. And we're just about wrapping up. We have eight arcs total. We are wrapping yeah. up arc six as of this recording. Uh, but we also have like a whole podcast backlog, a YouTube channel with all past VODs, which is all pre-recorded, all edited, background music, sound effects, all that stuff. So if you like, you know, like audio drama style, uh, role play, character heavy, cinematic combat sort of thing, definitely check us out. Uh, Outside of Transplaner, I am also a game designer and a freelance RPG writer. Uh, Most notably right now, as of this recording, I am working on developing the ash can of an original uh, holy punk PBTA game 
game uh, mm. for one GM and one player. I'm calling God Killer. Uh, the GM will be the God Killer. Uh, excuse me. The player will be the God Killer, and the GM will be, well, of course, the God or the gods <laughs> they're trying to kill. Um, Makes sense. To so me. that's yeah, that's been that's been a, a, a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun so far. The folks at Magpie are great. Um, outside of that, I am a general purpose actual play GM slash performer, uh, performing at various other tables, uh, doing cool things with really cool folks. Uh, <laughs> and uh, in my in my day job, uh, I somehow find the time to have a day job. Yeah, uh, right. I am a narrative designer uh, with Bungie. Yeah. Uh, and when I'm not working, I am uh, collecting frog memorabilia, which I feel like we have... We have a lot of common ground there. <laughs> immediately, immediately, yes. two kindred souls yes. look across this video call to one another. I know, I know. We literally, before this recording, we lifted up two different little like <laughs> frog mm-hmm. uh, uh, icons, which was which was great. Um, yeah, I'm collecting frog memorabilia and uh, freaking out about my cat, Bow Bow. So I feel like I covered a, a broad. You did. Oh, there. You know, what I what I really appreciated about that intro is that it was a very it was a very like, oh, no, I know the things I need to say. And it's it's the transplaner spiel. It's the it's the thing. It's the real word thing. And then it's frogs and then it's a cat. And then like, boom, you know, it plowed through the note you know cards, it. nailed it, got it and won. Some people really back into it like, ah, you know, I do this and you. Oh, I'm technically on here for this thing. Not Connie, not Connie. He was ready. Listen, I practice I practice this every morning in the mirror. <laughs> I, I do my spiel to myself. You know, I, I get up like everybody else and I, I go to a mirror and I just recite my, my professional bio just like we all oh, do and then yeah. put pants on. <laughs> yeah, every morning for me, it's like the um, uh, American Psycho uh, routine. <laughs> I like do my skincare, I look at myself, <laughs> I repeat the spiel. Oh boy, that is, an, that is a specific vibe and image. So like you said, you are extraordinarily busy. How did you get into tabletop role-playing games? Yeah, so I didn't really start doing any sort of TTRPG, anything, uh, even playing a home game, writing, homebrewing, anything, uh, until like 20... 15, honestly, more like 2016, um, right after high school really was the time. Uh, and the reason why I hadn't gone into TTRPGs until then uh, was because up until then, I was laboring under the misconce- misconception uh, that it was something that only like nerdy white dudes did. Because uh, I, you know, you said TTRPG, I thought D&D, I thought the two things right. were the same. I didn't know there were other TTRPGs, right? Uh, I thought it was just like grids and miniatures and math. <laughs> and I didn't know role-playing was at all a part of it. It just felt to me as some sort of um, uh, especially nerdy uh, LARP-ish extension of board gaming, yeah. right? So yeah, I yeah. never really thought about it. Uh, and what got me into it is all my high school friends after we graduated, they started listening to like Adventure Zone, right? And I was like, what is this thing that you all are talking about? I've never listened to a podcast before in my life either. So I started, <laughs> I, gave it a, I gave it a listen uh, and I fell in love with it. I didn't realize what a D&D game could be uh, until I listened to this actual play, until I like realized, oh, this is blending drama with role play, with like storytelling and these emotional arcs and also these like this really cool lingua franca, right? Like of classes and feats and, you know, D20s and crits and whatnot that like the audience could also share in, right? So that really appealed to me and I started GMing uh, my first ever play experience was jamming, and I I think that says a lot because I've been a forever jam since yep, then, yep. which I really Ain't enjoy. That is the way. Uh, a a home game with my high school friends. Uh, so we stayed in touch a little bit. Like I jammed them like once or twice a month over Discord. And whenever we got you know 
came back to Boston for like school breaks, I would uh, offer to host like a special one session of all of us in person. Uh, so that went on for like a year or so, uh, very inconsistently though. Um, as is the way. And it eventually died <laughs> and we never got to finish it as is the way. Yep, uh, yep. So that was my first interaction ever really uh, di directly with TTRPGs. Um, and after that, you know, I, I was bit by the bug. I had to keep scratching the itch. So I started various uh, home games in, in college. Uh, one of uh, which I, I GM'd with my partner in it, uh, C, C. Thomas, who is also one of my cast members mm -hmm. and my producer on Transplaner. And we got to know each other a little bit more through that. And actually we GM'd like a one to two year long campaign uh, from like junior to like senior year. Uh, and that was like the first campaign I, I we did from start to finish, uh, which was honestly a, a triumph. If you've ever started <laughs> and finished a home game, congratulations. Yes, we uh, did just before, just before we launched, we, we, had, we started as a home game. And we mm -hmm. we went back and finished it mostly just to say that we had finished a campaign. Listen, it's it's a huge victory. You should feel mm -hmm. very proud of yourself if you ever finish any kind of campaign. Um, it's it, it's a huge achievement. So that happened. You know, I cut my teeth a little bit on GMing that way. I, I played in some other friends, you know, D and D games, especially junior senior year. Like my friend group in college were was really starting to get into D&D too, which, which felt, felt really cool. And then, you know, graduated in around, uh, uh, 2019, we escaped COVID, uh, <laughs> COVID uh, college. Graduate. Yeah. COVID college. We escaped it literally by the skin of our teeth. Cause like we were literally the last class to, yep. to, to get out of there and have the full college experience. Right. Um, which I feel very lucky about. Uh, and since then, you know, uh, I decided, hey, I've been listening to Adventure Zone. I've been listening to Nadpod. I've been listening to Critical Role and this cool new thing called Dimension 20 is coming out. Like, I kind of want to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, this it seems like a lot of fun. And also I don't see a lot of projects that are led by people of color mm -hmm. um, that are you know, trans majority, if not all trans. Uh, so that's sort of what spawned the initial idea of transplaner. Um, and I'd already had like a couple of years experience GMing at that point. Uh, and a lot of the other uh, artistic hobbies I've had for my whole life fed very, very fluidly and dynamically into my game mastering. Uh, improv, which I've been doing like since middle school, uh, <laughs> screenwriting, which is what I had uh, have a BA yeah. in, uh, as well as um, uh, critical race studies, uh, which informed my approach to non-colonial anti-orientalist oh, uh, yeah. world building as well as spoken word poetry uh, you know uh, fiction writing and all that uh, so i blended slash continue <laughs> to blend all of these artistic and creative interests of mine uh into pretty much every actual play session igm and it uh, scratches that itch uh, and that's sort of how you know i got into ttrpgs and how i transitioned to actual plays and how i started transplaner itself so uh First of all, thank you for the full like that was the full gamut of like how you have evolved into the the powerful Connie that that we see in front of us today. Um, <laughs> so something first of all that that was interesting to me, uh, and I knew that you you had done screenwriting in college, uh, and I've talked to a couple other other GMs who are also who are also screenwriters in college, and so I was curious. My under my understanding is that screenwriting is kind of its own thing, right? You're in control of the narrative from start to finish, more or less. You are working on your own. And then there's the other side of things, which, of course, actual play is not. Improv is very much not those things, other than as a GM, you have some modicum of control and narrative nudging. So between kind of those two things um, and those two passions and interests, what is different about that for you and what kind of like creative fires does that light in a way that is is uh not shared 
uh, or maybe is shared by screenwriting. Yeah, so I think there is a stereotype of just writers in general uh, <laughs> as being like introverted people yeah. who like sit in a dark room and they churn out this like this genius manuscript and they yeah. send it off and it's and then it's out there, right? Um, it is. I would say just <laughs> just based on my experience, it's both extremely accurate yeah. <laughs> uh, and also extremely inaccurate, yes. right? Like it's 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 both. Uh, and I think the part of it that is accurate to me is it's it can be a very isolating practice yeah. unless you have a writing partner and unless you like attend writing workshops and even then it's your yeah. baby right especially if you don't have a co-writer right it's your thing uh, even if you workshop it even if you get feedback you have to take that feedback go into your dark room and write right uh, and this is true for not just screenwriting it's true for like a novelist yep. i would say it's like true for a, a lot of people who just write uh and that has always been my least favorite part of screenwriting my <laughs> favorite part has been the dramaturgy uh, it has been just, I mean, I like writing, you know, I like yeah, actually right. sitting down and banging out at my, you know, I'm a little, you know, mechanical keyboard here, <laughs> which sounds like an ancient typewriter um, yeah. and drives my uh, partner up the wall. I was going to uh, say, but is a, is a bug for some and a feature for others. Yes, exactly. So it's, it's interesting because GMing allows me to do the thing that I miss the most when I write mm. uh, alone, which is one, collaborate with other people in a yeah. spontaneous and improvisational manner. And two, um, perform. Yeah. Right? Like cold court in front of an audience. Like that is so much fun for me. Uh, and also all of this is structured. Uh, it's a game. We're not just, it's not just improv where yes. there are games in improv as well, but it's very loosey goosey. Like there's no, like, you don't have to roll dice to resolve uncertain outcomes. Right. And like, you don't have to like abide by, you know, the features and powers of our class or whatever. Um, but in, you know, actual plays, these rules, the structure uh, allows for spontaneity uh, and invention in a way that an that fully or more unstructured play like improv comedy uh, or any sort of like unscripted uh, a performance, I think doesn't because mm -hmm. it is a game because there is, like I mentioned earlier, like a lingua franca. And, you know, if anyone has ever listened to even like two seconds of Transplaner in any way <laughs> or basically anything I've GM, you'll know that, you know, I'm like, screw the rules. I have cool. You know, like I, I'm yep. very like, I do not feel beholden to the rules, especially if they get in the way of, of, of my players attempting something really cool or something really thematic. Um, but I do think that the rules provide a really cool like starting ground, yes. uh, like a common yep. understanding uh, and a fun, I mean, ideally fun, <laughs> a ludic framework uh, through which to understand the world we're building together and to realize these are the tools and the toys I have at my disposal. Um, here are the things, here are the tools I want to use and here are the ones I don't care about. Uh, let's build our own toolbox here. Absolutely. Kind of as an extension of that, why are, why are you the forever DM? Other than if, if I am DMing, then that means at least someone is. Uh, so I have a, a fake answer and a real answer. And the fake answer is, is also real, but it's less real. Yeah. Uh, and my fake answer is I really like telling stories for my friends. Uh, mm -hmm. I like uh, seeing looks of horror and shock on their face as yeah. I describe something horrific and shocking. Uh, I like sort of taking everyone's desires uh, mm -hmm. and like infusing them into a greater plot mm -hmm. and being like, this is why your characters matter. Uh, I like narrating things and I like sort of um, describing the world and being sort of the agent of chaos uh, <laughs> that 
you know, players respond to. Like, mm-hmm. something about being the rest of the world and being the rest of every single other character in the world is very appealing to me. And uh, which leads me to the real reason why I like GMing, which is that I am a control freak. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I love to be able to be mm-hmm. like, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what the session is going to be about. Uh, this is the plot. You know, like, this is the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what do you do? You know, I love, I love, you know, very structured, um, st- structured play, right? My Virgo rising is coming out. I'm like, we're going to have fun with rules. Like this is how <laughs> we're having fun, uh, etc. And I also, you know, ever since I was, was a child, really, like I've always loved, you know, you know, younger sibling vibes. Like, you know, I, I like, um, I like the spotlight in a lot of ways. I like to perform. I like to make people laugh. I like to make people smile. I like mm-hmm. to make people, you know, uh, grab the edges of their seats and wonder what's going to come out of my mouth next, right? And a lot of ways, like, that itch is really scratched when I get to GM for my players because I get to see their reactions, their face yeah. journeys, and I feed off of that energy. Um, I re- Don't get me wrong. I really love playing. I love inhabiting a world that someone else has built, and I love being a character in that world. Uh, but something about GMing just comes, I think, a lot more naturally in a lot of ways, enthusiastically for me as well. Uh, not that I don't love performing and playing. I really, really do. Um, but they're like, it's like apples and oranges, right, for me. And um, I'm an orange person. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's that's really interesting because, you know, uh, something that, that I have always just kind of contemplated as a as someone who is making things for an audience is that there is kind of those, there's those multiple levels of kind of engagement, right? Where like, at, at the core, it is you and your players at the table, virtual or otherwise, and getting those reactions. And then it's the audience who's listening or in the chat or whatever, and then is kind of like amorphous social media sphere or whatever. So something something I, I, I'm always interested in for people who have kind of taken the step to do a creative work for public consumption. You know, you had you had your home game. You completed a campaign successfully. Uh, you had all of that nice feedback in the moment with your players, right? And kind of were scratching that itch. What was kind of the decision point or realization point or whatever that you said, I, I want to do this for, you know, for an audience and as its own thing, as a show, as a network and really, really go for it. Yeah. Uh, so for me, uh, p- playing D and D in in terms of it being an actual play is is an artistic practice for me. Mm-hmm. It is very creatively fulfilling, and I've always known ever since I was a child that that's what I wanted to do for my profession. I wanted to do something artistic. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do something creative, much to the chagrin and horror of my mother, uh, <laughs> who's very much like We can all like, just uh, kind of nod. Yep, yep, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like, Dr. Lawyer Scientist, like, what are you doing? Uh, but I'm like, you know what, mom? I want to I want to struggle financially, so don't worry about me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my, my career ambition uh, is to struggle financially, yes. yep. Yeah, that yeah. is that is my career, career ambition. Uh, it's it's <laughs> and look look where I am now, yeah. Ma. Uh, but she she doesn't understand what I do at all, which is uh, fine. Yeah. Um. So yeah, after graduating, uh, there was a, a moment in time where my partner and I were like, well, where do we want to go? Are we gonna go to move, you know move to Boston, mm-hmm. uh, where we have a lot of roots and a lot of like family and friends, and there might be some career opportunities there. Are we going to move to LA? Like, Connie, are going to do your Hollywood thing? Are you going to try to like make it uh, as a writer in the entertainment biz? You know, you you know, you have some connections there. Your sister's out there. Uh, or do we want to go? Yeah, let's go to the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Minneapolis. Uh, and that reason percolated because uh, at the time, this was maybe 
two and a half years ago. Yeah, basically, basically two and a half years ago, uh, my partner was performing with a theater company out there, actually an all transgender theater company as well. Uh, and they ha- were basically part of the show that had been in the works for literal years. Mm-hmm. And they were like, this is going to be our final. We're going to finally put this show together and like perform it. And like, I just need, and it's, it's in Minneapolis and I just need to finish it out. And once we finish it out, we can like decide where we go from there. And I was like, that's cool. I'll find something to do in Minneapolis. Uh, So right out of college, I got an internship at like an indie publishing press because I thought maybe I wanted to do like book writing Mm -hmm. or like get into publishing in some way. Uh, And that was a really great experience. I, you know, it introduced me to a lot of really cool poets uh, and like what the publishing industry was like in these specifically, which is so different, right. From anything I'd experienced up until that point, you know, I partnered with their theater thing. uh, And during that time I was like, well, I need something else to occupy myself with uh, aside from this internship. And aside from like this, like um, nonprofit data entry job that was, you know, (laughs) putting money on the table. And I was like, I need something else to do. Uh, So I was like, well, I'm feeling a little creatively unfulfilled, you know, like I Mm -hmm. could be keeping up with some sort of artistic practice better. Uh, Why not? make an actual play it just sort of came naturally i was like i like D. you like D. let's do something D related and see what's out there uh so i gm the series of one shots for my local queer facebook group in minneapolis you know i posted in this queer exchange being like i'll dm some one shots who wants to play cool. and like literally a hundred people responded <laughs> because if you offer people a limited experience that gm and yep. a time and a place they will show up. That's yep. like the best way to get any players at your table. Absolutely. And this was all pre-COVID, right? Uh, so we also used those series of one shops. I think I did, I ran like three or four total uh, as as like a way to sort of like soft cast, you know, to sort of like gauge like mm. who of these people are, you know, do we vibe with? Uh, do mm-hmm. we like, do we like their, you know, energy? So I ended up casting at the time uh, Max and Lyra, oh, as well cool. as Erica, who was part of C's theater troupe. And that they performed together before and they knew each other very well. So they were like, we bounce off of each other well. So we definitely wanted Erica and we wanted like two other people. Uh, and I all, I knew, you know, from the jump that I wanted this to be an all transgender venture. And I also wanted there to be, you know, uh, people of color uh, at 50% at least, if not more, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, at the table. That was important to me as well. So that's how Transplanter started. We met, we began recording, we did our thing uh, a year past. <laughs> we got to know the Twitter sphere on Twitter and beyond uh, in, in terms of the TTRPG community. I got to meet so many cool people. We invited like four and, and then eventually five other cast members on yeah. as Lyra had to uh, step away to uh, pursue her own music career. Um, And yeah, Transplanter just sort of like uh, ballooned outward from there. And I know from the jump that, you know, that very first session zero that we had, it was more of like a session negative one. Like before we were even talking about the world, we were talking about what we wanted the show to be. I have always been very adamant from the beginning that this is a show, not a home game. Uh, And that, you know, I was also very pragmatic. I was like, we're not going to, we're very likely not going to be the next Critical Role or like the next adventure zone or dimension Mm -hmm. 20 but that doesn't mean that i don't care about the quality of the narrative and the investment of ourselves into our character arcs and how we perform right like this is a performance all i've ever asked for my players is that they show up and they perform to the best of their ability in a given day because the Mm. best varies right and i'll take care of the rest and that's sort of like how Transplanter started uh, and how we grew from there. And our, you know, guiding values have always been diversity, representation, inclusion, and equity at the table, as well as we, we treat this 
like a professional venture because yeah. at you know we we had a, a pulse check basically maybe a year in after our anniversary uh with the uh, og cast where i was basically like hey it's becoming pretty clear that this thing is starting to take off and i know originally when we talked about it it was very low stakes and we were like very much like just show up you know like right. well, we'll just play yeah. but it's become it started to become a little bit more than that like you know not not to sound arrogant at mm. all but it was just the reality of the situation we just we had to be practical about it and i was like this is no longer just us it's more people are involved in terms of an audience and a platform and a brand that we're building um are you in or are you out basically you know like no hard feelings if you're like this is actually too much for me mm -hmm. like this is not what i signed up for originally and everyone was like no we're all in like we understand we want to be professionals about this um so i've always been very transparent with all my players you know the expectations and the kind of show this is and our priorities and whatnot um and you know, I'm I'm a Virgo Virgo rising Aries sun, so <laughs> everything I do, I like put a hundred percent of myself into, uh, and I hold very high standards for myself as well. Like I can't just half ass something; I have to full ass everything, right? Um, but my Aries sun does mean I run out of energy very quickly. So my guiding star through all of this, you know, the thing that's kept me motivated, the thing that's kept me on top of the wagon instead of falling off has been my partner, C, who has, you know, is a behind the scenes and in front of the camera, yes. absolute wizard, absolute yeah. <laughs> juggernaut of a person. They are the stage manager for Transplaner. They like run everything. They do all the scheduling, all like so much of the communication, like so much of the production work. Um, just you know they take a lot of like the lion's share of that work really so i can focus on gming which is also a lot of work um and honestly i don't know how any other channel does it without at least one full-time producer because it's it is a ton of work yeah uh, and yeah, oftentimes absolutely. for very little pay if any uh so that's another reason why i hustle so hard because it's important to me to get my players and myself paid for uh the work we do which was not possible when we were first starting out because mm -hmm. no one knew who the hell we were right uh, but yeah. it's starting to become a little bit more feasible right oh, that's for, first of all that's very exciting <laughs> as yes. someone also who has a, a glimpse of of the difficulty of it that's awesome congratulations that was uh wonderful because now i have 14 follow-up questions uh the first Yay. easiest follow-up <laughs> question is so so just to just for timeline purposes so when when for those listening when did you guys like go into like pre-production slash start recording slash air kind of like episode one of Transplaner? So for the first year, maybe year and a half, uh, basically from arcs one through four, everything was live. Uh, so we went live end of June 2020. I remember because mm -hmm. we wanted a Pride Month launch and it was at the very end of Pride Month. Uh, and that was something that we'd been preparing for since I want to say like March of that mm -hmm. year. And I'd been running one shots all through the all through the, the uh, winter and it wasn't until like March that we got together and we had that session zero and then maybe in April we uh we did like several off stream games just to like build a table dynamic yeah. and just like get to know each other right because that felt really important to us we weren't going in cold cold right uh so we launched June you know I I set all of our social medias up uh you know I did all the little graphics for our <laughs> twitch panels you know I put together a little the, YouTube yeah. page the Twitter page, you know, all of that. Like we had all of our ducks in a row before we um, pulled the trigger, so to speak. I, that's such a violent uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, saying. I don't know. What, before you know, we I'm sorry, jumped ducks. in, uh, before we uh, turned the cameras on, yeah, the lights on. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Something. Uh, yeah. 
all the ducks in the row before we fed them delicious carrots. Yes, um, exactly. And, and kept yes, them yes. Uh, alive and happy throughout alive their, happy, exactly. their whole natural <laughs> exactly. lives. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, so that is sort of how episode Arc 1, episode 1 came about. And we did, you know, and then we live streamed at first for maybe like the first five to eight eight episodes of our show total it was every other week a bi-weekly basis uh so it'd be like every other saturday but then we were like this sucks let's do <laughs> weekly like this is actually really bad uh both for remembering what the hell happened yes. last episode and also for building an audience so yes. we were like let's why are we doing this let's just do every week can <laughs> we do every week and we did and that persisted until the end of arc four and then we switched to a pre-recording model uh, and this was also after we brought on like four new cast members too. It was just a lot more feasible pre-recording wise to like wrangle everyone's schedules and also uh, contribute to a higher quality yeah. of the show itself. Uh, we were able to get in an audio mixer, like a, a person to master our audio levels and, and C is also our video editor. So they were able to edit every episode. So they were like two and a half hours or, or shorter uh, because, you know, three, four hour long streams were becoming untenable, uh, both for ourselves and for our audience. Uh, and uh, we released our podcast a year after our stream had started. So right around like arc or four, I want to say, we released arc one, episode one in podcast format which was fully edited and i want to say like for the first half of the first arc i was doing all of the podcast editing which was a ton of ton of work Indeed. and then c started doing it <laughs> right and then we were able to get funding for like a dedicated podcast editor you know like thank god that yeah, was like a yes. game changer <laughs> a literal game changer um cannot recommend getting your own editor if you have the money enough it is it is a, a huge investment um so yeah, our podcast is uh, maybe two arcs behind at this point. They're beginning to wrap up arc four as we, uh, on on the front end, wrap up arc six. Uh, and, you know, the end is pulling into focus. Uh, in terms yeah. of the pre-recording, we are in the literally, literally in the middle of pre-recording arc eight, which is our final arc um, of the entire campaign. And we only have a couple of weeks left uh, for that. Yeah, so that's that's well, it's been very emotional and it's been. Yeah, very I was gonna fulfilling. I was gonna ask before any of my yeah. other questions. How what's that experience? I mean, we we started off talking about how momentous and wonderful it is to finish a home game, right? How are you feeling going in to these last recording wise, the last handful or however many sessions left of this two plus year journey that has has taken you to where you are today? Man. I I am absolutely gonna like cry my eyes out. I'm just sure of it. Natural. Whether or not it's gonna happen on camera <laughs> is is the question. It's not if, it's like how, right? Mm -hmm. Uh mm -hmm. so the end is pulling into sight. We're literally recording arc eight, episode five this Saturday. Uh so in two days, because we're recording on a Thursday, uh this this interview. And that's gonna be a lot. Uh it's mm. it it feels like the culmination of everything. Because it is. Uh, it's a culmination of everything uh, I, as a GM, have been setting up for two and a half years. It's a culmination of everyone's character arcs. For half of, you know, three of our eight cast members is they've been setting it up for two and a half years. Yeah. And for the rest of our cast, they've been setting it up for months. I feel very excited. Uh, I feel nervous <laughs> uh, <laughs> about what our audience is going to think of it. I feel very proud as well of all the work that I've been doing, of all the work that my cast has been doing, um, of all the work that C has been doing specifically as our mm -hmm. dramaturg, as our producer, and our video editor. <laughs> like, truly, they are they're phenomenal. Um, and I, I can't wait to share the story with everyone um, when the time comes. Mm -hmm. I think it's really going to... 
I feel really good about it. Good. That's that important, obviously. It yeah. <laughs> goes without saying, hopefully. But but that is good that you are happy. <laughs> so speaking of the story, when you were when you were launching and getting ready and that kind of stuff, um, what was kind of the scope of what you went into this project? Kind of knowing you know, either either skeletally or specifically as you were kind of going into what would turn out to be a two plus year campaign. Yeah, uh, we didn't have an end point in mind when we first started out. We were just sort of like, let's just yep. have it be a persistent campaign, right? And it ends when it ends. Uh, the end really winnowed into sight for me, I would say maybe between arc one and two, uh, where I was like, okay, I, I think I think this is going to be an eight arc venture. And I, I'm pretty sure each arc is going to have maybe like 15 or 16 episodes. Mm -hmm. And I did kind of prescribe the arc, you know, arc and episode format and structure pretty early on. Um, I want to say arc one, we didn't really have a, I kind of forget, um, but I'm pretty sure this is what it was like. We didn't really have a, End point in mind, we were just like, let's record this arc until it's done. And around episode 15, we were like, that feels like a good stopping point. Yeah. And then we were just like, let's keep that consistent. Let's do 15 episode arcs and let's do eight arcs total. And we did the math, right? We were like, math-wise, that's going to be like, that's going to be two years. That's going to be like two and a half years of recording uh, for us to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and everyone knew that, you know, <laughs> uh, and they were like, Yeah. We're cool with it, which honestly, that's the part that astounds me the most. That no one was like, um, yeah. that's actually like a lot of time of my life. Like, yeah. that's my life. Yeah. Like, man, like, I'm out of here. Uh, Especially no weekly, like you know, performance. Like, it is a performance, too. It is yes. not just like even to have something on your calendar for two and a half years two is a and lot. Half years and then every for it to be week? what it is, is even more so. So that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is a commitment, obviously a commitment for me as a GM and a showrunner, yeah. but it's a huge commitment for the players as well. And I just, I feel very honored and grateful that they, they, uh, wanted to embark on this journey with me, uh, and still do an R. And, uh, so that has sort of been, uh, the start of the scope. Yeah. Do you, are you, are you a, a writer either just kind of generally or specifically for actual plays? Do you enjoy having kind of that 15 to 16 arc structure, you know, to kind of write to or to kind of envision? Or is it something you have to constrain yourself and be like, I can't go overboard. I have this many episodes. Or is it is it somewhere in between? So my dramaturg and I have had a lot of conversations about this. <laughs> and we are uh, in two different boats. Uh, in my boat, I really like having a specific number of episodes uh, because that helps me structure the yeah. act of each arc. I'd be like, okay, this is, you know, when they're first investigating, okay, shit's about to ramp up in these next few episodes. This is the midpoint. So some some sort of twist or something needs to happen yeah. here, yeah. Uh, like a death or something. Uh, and then there's the back half is people are reeling from the midpoint and then, okay, where they're rallying their forces to like do the final <laughs> counter, right? Like that helps me plan yes. out each yeah. arc and it helps me map along their wishes and their desires for their characters along mm -hmm. my plans um so i like having the structure i think so my dramaturg also likes having like a certain number of episodes but they 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 less so like having a specific number yes, that we're beholden to they're more like they like a range they'd be like okay and this is going to be a 12 to 16 episode series mm -hmm. or like this is going to be a 20 to 23 episode venture right um which I, I have seeded ground because I've heard their <laughs> side and I'm like, fine, fine, Partnerships fine, and whatever. You're, you're yeah, right, yeah, yeah. fine. 
And their logic, the reasoning is as a player, when you are going into yeah. a long-term campaign, it's really hard to embody a character, play them out, and have them go through their own arc if there is a specific endpoint in mind, because that can feel cons- constraining. And it can feel a little bit like, oh my God. I have oh, to get to where hurting. Connie needs me you to know? be. I have to hit my mark. Yes. Yes, I need to hit my marks, uh, which can be difficult to hold on to, especially if you don't have a script. Uh, It's obviously different if it's scripted, right? Because then you're like, okay, this happens here, this happens here. But uh, in an actual play improvisational format, my players need room to breathe. They need room Mm -hmm. to explore different dynamics. They need room to like, you know... uh, uh, carry out their own character arcs they need room to build relationships with each other and npcs and that's not even mentioning the plot right right? that's just completely aside from the plot right so uh i have seated ground you know on that (laughs) front and my partner uh, strongly feels that even like a a 15 16 episode run of an arc is not that much time uh for a long-term campaign it's it's not that much time because maybe, especially if, you know, the actual play series you're you're launching has the premise of these characters are strangers to each other. It takes a, a entire arc, maybe two, for the strangers to actually get to know each other. Mm-hmm. And then the plot too, right? Yes. So uh, that was true for Transplaner. Like it took really arcs one through three, I would say, uh, for the main PCs to actually really start to get to know each other and their backstories. Um so I think, you know, for a future, for the future flagship campaign of Transplaner after after the second Stranger Sunset, um, I'm definitely keeping all of these lessons in mind. And I would be interested in looking at like a more, a longer and more flexible uh, format for each arc, right? Like maybe like a 20 to 22, maybe 22 to 24 episode venture um, per arc, as opposed to 15, 16 episodes. You, you've been running for se- for several years, but now have also been running Transplaner for also longer than I think a lot of other shows. So what lessons have you learned kind of throughout the process, not just about GMing, about writing, about producing, about about any of it um, that you would either tell past you or that you would tell someone else who was kind of looking to to dabble into the space? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I have a lot. <laughs> I right, have a I mean, lot of things. Right. <laughs> I would say to my past self or to anyone trying to br- break in, I guess, t- to the space, um, especially if you're marginalized in any way. Uh, I think, honestly, the first, I, w- I don't want to say biggest, but the, the first thing that yeah. comes to mind is this is this is an industry in flux. Uh, mm-hmm. As of our recording of this podcast, um, this is a hobby transitioning into an industry. And because of that, there are a lot of growing pains. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, there are no rules, which is both, I think, a massive pro and a massive con. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll talk about the cons first. There's no industry standard for paying performers. There's no mm-hmm. industry standard for paying artists, GMs, illustrators, producers. Uh, uh, avenues of financing are both obscure. Like People don't know how to get sponsored uh, mm-hmm. and also uh variable so variable some sponsors are like we want this 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 and we'll give you this much and some sponsors are like yeah we want this and we'll give you this much yeah you know and it's there's no standardization nothing 
um, nothing. That is, I would say these are like some pretty major cons uh, and they become more apparent the more time you sink into this. Cause if it's just a side thing you do like every other week, you know, when you get home from work, you just, you and some buddies hop on a discord con and you upload it to YouTube. That's one thing. Uh, it's another thing if you're trying to like make it a, a side hustle in a real way yeah. or to even transition to it for your full-time job, which honestly I cannot in good conscience recommend unless you have a, an audience already, unless you're already big on TikTok. Yeah. Or Twitter, where you're already a Twitch partner, honestly. Like, I don't think affiliate is enough. Um, and I'm saying this as a Twitch affiliate, right? Yeah, so, like, right, I'm not yeah. knocking affiliates. <laughs> like, I, I, right. I say this as someone who is. It, you is, know, it is me. It is, look, behold, it is, it is my me. Mirror. I'm literally yeah. talking about myself. Yeah. Um, and I would say, Transplaner, we even had a little bit of a head start because I had a semi viral Tumblr DD meme blog that I used to uh, bump the launch of, of The Second Stranger. You know, we had maybe like 80, 60, 80 CCV for our pilot episode. Ha having had no connections in in TTRPGs at all, which I would say is is very successful for like the launch of a show that no one has heard about, right? Yeah, um, and absolutely. that is largely, yeah, that's because I had like 19,000 followers or something on on Tumblr, which, you know, is not, it's Tumblr of all places, which is the worst place to monetize, <laughs> which is the worst place to have an audience. Like I say this- I thought you were just going to say like, it's, it, which is the worst place. Um, no, but Tumblr that users good. would agree. Yeah. yeah, it is the worst place. <laughs> I but mean, actually, any after, social media. I would say it's much better now because a, a lot of the users went to Twitter yeah. uh, or TikTok. So Tumblr feels like a lot. It's like, it feels like the ecosystem has cleansed itself a little bit more. But anyway, um, so that helped a lot with the launch of it, you know, and like we have some viewers still in our Discord who are like, I was here from Connie's Tumblr, uh, you know, which which is, you know, truly ridiculous to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you're listening to this, Tristan, uh, thank you for being here. Um, so that's one thing I would say, uh, which is this is a, a transitional space mm -hmm. so there are growing pains i would say the pros of that transition of space are you can innovate uh there's nothing stopping you from yeah. doing it really aside aside from time which you know let's be real, time, <laughs> time energy yep. right time energy Money. and dedication and labor right and dedication to improving this as a craft or a skill no one says an actual play has to be like this because there's no standard agreement for what an actual play is so i have taken that to mean i want my my series i want transplaner to be like an, an audio drama Mm -hmm. quality show uh, i want it to be sleekly produced uh, i want it to be consumable as a live show on twitch uh and have an afterlife on youtube uh as well as uh, a podcast format and i want this to be like even though we're playing DD, we're not really playing DD, right it's more about the characters it's more about the, the story it's about the narrative it's about the themes that's what our audience shows up for and that's where i think a lot of my screenwriting background shines through is like having a really strong understanding of themes and how to make them um make them bleed uh bleed really red in a show uh, so that's the exciting part just look at you know innovations that other shows are doing like Colock. that is a really cool way to approach live play that's a really cool way to approach actual play everything dimension 20 is doing their latest uh, ep uh show uh as of this recording uh, a court of uh, fey and flowers you know integrating aspects of i think uh, a regency ttrpg uh mm -hmm. i think good society or like they, they integrated some sort of mechanic i forget exactly where it's from um into how they play DD, &D, uh, and their approach you know to world building their approach to character their approach to story you know i've i, I had the absolute pleasure privilege honor etc cetera, etc cetera, of speaking to brennan about this specifically and like his approach to, to doing dimension 20 which i think like it's very, I resonated with a lot. It's really similar to to the values I hold, and I really think you know 
that's the future of this space too. Uh, audiences, I think, true, and this is advice I would give to myself, which is, is, I think, an instinct I've always had, but also advice to other people entering the space. Audiences are hungry for new perspectives, for fresh takes on the same beloved tropes and genres mm-hmm. and settings, uh, and for like new talent doing interesting things in the space. So if you're coming in, I would think to yourself, like, think like, how can you stand apart from every other actual play out there? Because there are so many of us. There's yes. so many of us. How can you stand apart both in terms of representation? Like, okay, like just straight up, you cannot be an all my table. Like, I'm sorry, you cannot. Like, it's just, it's just in 2022, it's un- unacceptable like you can't be an all-white table that's just not you just can't do that uh it's just not the vibe uh and it's just not the way to go um and it's yeah, also especially not right. big it's anything also not right. bigger especially anything that you want yes. to take off just can't do it yes can't do if it you're doing do an it. actual play you cannot have an all-white table especially if you have any sort of funding in any way or any kind of platform if it's a home game i don't give a fuck fuck like play with your bro like i don't care it's a hope game you're doing that for fun but it, as soon as you put on the actual play shoes you got it you have to so that's my other piece of advice treat it like a job yeah treat this like like take it seriously right because that helps elevate our industry as a whole when everyone takes it seriously and everyone is committed to paying people equitably uh, and to elevating the quality of your sh- of your product of your brand of your show right uh if you you know and that that doesn't mean you have to bleed and cry over it and like spend an ungodly amount of hours working on an overlay it just means that you you hold an awareness and an understanding within yourself that this is a show that yeah. you're putting on a performance that there are expectations beyond that of a home game um and that's not a bad thing right uh, and i actually think it's a very very good thing because because you know if we go in the other direction um i you know for shows that are just like oh we're just a home game but we just stream it and i'm like where are your captions this is not accessible why are you all white when you take it more seriously it's better for everyone you know what i mean um in every sense of the word for the audience for the players for the gm for the industry um so that's my other piece of advice and for yourself too honestly if you are actually serious about like growing your platform if you take it seriously you know like it's much easier to grow and honestly the other biggest piece piece of advice I would have, I have two, I have two other ones I can think of, and I feel like I'm going I'm going on for a long time. No, but no, I have no. A lot of lessons I've This is this is Connie. This is the format. Like we, <laughs> I, I ask a question, I like I prod, and then I just and then people just answer with their whole selves, and it's great. And so you're you are fine. This is safe. And if it is too long, we edit. It's fine. No big deal. <laughs> Hell yeah, yeah. Cut out, cut out entire chunks of me blabbing about nothing. Yeah, I, I empower you to do so. Um, but yeah, the other uh, two pieces of advice, one would be don't discount yourself or the value you have in the space, right? This is specifically, I'm like talking to Fast Connie, right? Yeah. And also, you know, like if you're out there trying to break well, who, in, like especially if you're marginalized. benefit from hearing too. that, right? You know? Yeah, like, I know, exactly, right? Like you are worth something, you have something valuable to bring to the space and you have a perspective that no one else does. And this is true for everyone because we're all different. We're all special. We're all unique. So lean into that, right? Like lean into that as what Mm -hmm. sets you apart. Find your own voice. And this is side note. If you are a white creator in the space and you are sick of Eurocentric fantasy and you're th- you're curious about non-colonial and anti-orientalist world building, but you're like, I don't want to appropriate, I don't want to overstep, I don't want to swerve out of my lane, my advice to you is lean into what makes you special. Are is your family from like rural Maine? Did you grow up catching newts? 
you know i'm serious mm -hmm. and like salamanders in like your local stream lean into that like did you you know have like are your parents grandparents from switzerland or sweden or germany or the netherlands like lean into that like seriously mm -hmm. you know um this is this is my because i always have to turn everything into like uh anti-racist uh, sort of yeah uh, i mean uh, oh oh no what a what a deep fault that is is to be <laughs> striving for justice and equality in all things wow wow connie <laughs> how dare you he says just shrugging at the camera <laughs> yeah, no, no, but but um, seriously, something I I see that happens a lot, I think, is is whiteness as a social construct is obviously ex you know white supremacy racism is very violent toward people of color, specifically toward mm -hmm. black people, specifically toward indigenous people. But I would argue it's also really violent toward white people too, because by buying into the project of whiteness by assimilating into this, right, like the the Irish became white in America, mm -hmm. you lose, you lose something too. Like you lose your own culture in a lot of ways and you lose uh, your own individuality, your own sense of, of who you are and where you're from, all to the altar of, of a homogenous kind of whiteness yeah. to white culture, right? So like, I would say resist that shit, uh, lean into your own <laughs> culture your own background like if you're a white person thinking like what are your roots right and like what is your own personal backstory too like are your parents dentists and you have this weird thing about teeth and teeth <laughs> monsters like do it you know like like there's everyone Absolutely. has this right um so that's another piece of advice that's a side free free advice for for white people out there that's a side piece um and i think the the uh one of the final pieces of advice i could think of uh would be hmm Honestly, it's it's really about the people, uh, both in terms of networking, if you want to grow, like uh, building connections thoughtfully, genuinely and intentionally, like it matters how you treat other people mm -hmm. um, and it matters how other people treat you mm -hmm. uh, because people talk. Uh, people people mm -hmm. talk and people remember uh, yep. for sure, uh, for, for better and for worse. Uh, but I would I would hope mostly for the better. Uh, so don't treat people poorly. You know, be kind in the way you communicate with other people, even if it doesn't come to you naturally. Like I can be a very like very a short person. I would say like not because I, I am actively trying to be mean, but because I'm very efficient. Yeah, so I'll right, just be yeah. like, let's do this, let's do that, let's do that. And I think <laughs> you know that's fine, right? And I'm you know I have ADHD, and I'm like almost positive I'm not neurotypical. Uh, but um. I would advise, like, if you can, putting in a little bit of extra effort in, like, being aware yeah. of how you come off to other people, right, mm -hmm. and, like, how you treat them. Uh, in session zeros, in, in, in Discord messages, on Twitter, uh, it's important, right? Like, be, be kind. Be kind to your fellow industry yeah. person and to your, you know, just because it's, it's, it's just a good thing to do. <laughs> um, and, you know, like, there are people in the space, as we have seen online over and over again, who... I think take advantage of other people. Yep. So this also ties into my other piece of advice, which is like, know your worth. Right. And especially to other people of color, especially queer people of color in the space, like there will be times where specifically like white folks with, with something about platform might reach out to you uh, and be like, can you be on this show? Can you come on? Da -da -da -da. And just, you know, I, I know it's going to feel like an opportunity and it will be, but like it, it, that, 
right? Like ask around, like really do your research and um, mm-hmm. stand your ground if you feel like you're being taken advantage of because you, mm-hmm. you might be. And a word to you as well that like there are people out there who will have your back too. Like make friends with other people of color, like make friends with queer people, trans people in the space. It will be life-changing, right? Like we are out there, we are out there in full force and a lot of numbers. Um, and I would say overall, like we, we tend to try to look out for each other, right? Um, so I, w- I would say that's my final piece of advice is just, it's just be, be a good person, right? Yeah. Because it matters and it's important and how you talk to other people and how you treat them does reflect on you. You mentioned, you know, leaning into your own voice, right? And kind of your own experiences, your own perspective and leaning into your own kind of individuality, both as a, as a writer and I'd imagine for all cast members for, for shows is lean into what kind of makes you you and what is true about yourself. But what what do you think is 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 the Connie Chang voice? What's <laughs> what are the stories, the the moments, the whatever that kind of are an example of you, you know, being yourself uh, and being yourself through your art? I would say, and this is something I've discovered through doing rather than trying to prescribe to myself mm-hmm. what my voice is. These are just themes and. Uh, dramas I naturally gravitate toward. Uh, one of them is intense personal drama. So think like like prestige television, like and very queer as well. So like the L word. I would say like the intense drama of like Euphoria, uh, and like the intense drama of like <laughs> any sort, like like Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Like when we look at like the relationships between like Walt and Skyler. I've also mm-hmm. been rewatching Breaking Bad, so that's that's, that's I'm, been in my brain. I'm extremely <laughs> doof. I can't decide if I'm going to rewatch that or jump into. Better Call Saul yet, but either way. Sorry. Oh yeah, I'm I'm excited to jump into Better Call Saul after after I finish my rewatch. Uh, uh, so that's one thing: intense, like very personal character drama. I love that shit. I love it. <laughs> I feast on it. It gives me energy. Give me more. Uh, and, especially... and why? Can I ask? Like what? What, um, what does what what gives you the juice? It has the juice. Uh, it's. I just feel like it. It. It's the easiest point of entry for an audience member, first mm-hmm. of all, uh, mm-hmm. when characters are three-dimensional and have things they really want but can't have mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Like, that is an immediate entry point. That's just like screenwriting 101, yeah. right? Like, who are they? What do, you, what do they want? Why can't they have it? Like, that's that, that's like 101. That's what you learn yep. in, like, yep. any intro to screenwriting class. And another reason is because, like, I never want to be, nor am I interested in being the kind of GM that's like, this is my magnum opus and you are not but tiny side characters in my Mm -hmm. drama. (laughs) You know, like I genuinely think that um, the draw of any actual play is both the GM, right? And like what the GM's capable of and like the kind of story and the world they uh, they weave, but also like the main characters, right? Mm -hmm. And like the main characters of your campaign are your players. So like, obviously I'm going to focus so much time on them and like work with them to like figure out their character arcs and to figure out what makes them tick and to throw specific challenges at them because that's what I and audiences at the end of the day remember and care about. It's these characters, right? Um, And, you know, it's just, it's so much easier and so much more human, I would say in a lot of ways to relate to someone else than it is like the concept of war. Yeah, right, yeah, absolutely. Like we, 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 we humanize war, right? And we humanize whatever themes you're talking about in your campaign through characters, right? Yes. Um, 
I remember something that Matt Colville said during, I think, one of his like running the game series uh, where he was like, a mistake I made when running, I think, the, the chain. It's been a while since I've. I know. I, I'll be right yeah, there yeah. with you as we try to repiece it back Remember MCD himself. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to be like, ah. Uh, but Matt Colville, cool as hell. Uh, mm-hmm. His production company is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um but I remember one of his running the game pieces of advice he had for himself is a mistake I made when I introduced my characters to various factions uh, at first is I just introduced them to the factions like kind of bloodlessly. Yeah. Like they were, I'd just be like, this is this faction. They do this. This is this faction. They do this. And my parents didn't give a fuck. Mm-mm. They were like, yeah. whatever. We're going to do whatever we care about. And he realized later that like he should have given them someone to care about, yeah. like uh, an NPC to embody a faction in some way and to have specific motivations beyond just being a a, a mouthpiece for that faction, right? Like that's what your PCs will remember and care about. So there, that's one one aspect of character drama, right? The other aspect is just because it's just what I'm interested in, um, mm-hmm. and I just it's just something I I think I'm good at and that I enjoy doing, uh, which is to like uh, take knives and stab them, yeah. stab my <laughs> my players with them. Yeah, like I'll take like knife like shards of glass from your backstory, the yep. stab uh, them. Of course, right? it's the best. I, I love doing that. It's so gratifying. Um, so that's one of the Connie Chong signatures, I would say, and the other. And the other is grappling with, like, apocalyptic, uh, dark fantasy, eldritch, unknowable, unfathomable themes. Mm -hmm. So, like, think, um, think, like... Phallurgy and Thanurgy from the Locked Tomb series, right? Uh, or like the the grand cosmic battle between the darkness and the light in the Destiny yeah. uh, series, right? Or like stuff like that. And also like Cthulhu, Cthulhu, but better because you know Cthulhu was made by a racist white guy. Uh, like, Extremely, like these, yes. Like unknowable, like divinity, yes, right? Specifically, godhood and divinity, unknowable, like uh, mm-hmm. freaky beyond like human understanding kind yeah. of like divinity because that because that is really appealing to me i i love that shit i love it when when gods are weird uh and you know there are even beings greater than gods right uh that's another thing i really like to explore uh and that comes with dark fantasy as well i really 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 enjoy dark fantasy i like i like running serious shows like in terms of tone and flavor mm-hmm. like a lot of the one shots I run on other people's channels too, and podcasts, and you know, our translator obviously, it's it's all serious. You know, like I would say we're like seventy thirty drama humor, um, and the humor is just spontaneous because I don't right. think you could have anything that's a hundred percent drama without it becoming a farce of itself, right? So like I will also put in moments of levity just because it feels right, but also like I'm really interested in like a serious and dramatic campaign uh, and story, like that's what really scratches that itch for me. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about the difference between a home game and an actual play and like a a product. And you've detailed some of the stuff. And and I personally really enjoy Transplaners, like production quality and the value and your performances that you guys give, especially kind of now, but also dating back to as you were ideating kind of what the vibe was going to be. What What was important to you and kind of why about making it a show as opposed to, oh uh, yeah, we just threw an iPhone out or we're recording our Zoom call or or whatever. Um, what 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 do you think adds to the show uh, by making it a show, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um in terms of production quality, I would say it's like a hundred percent of the uh, of it is like the work that C does as an editor. Um and of course the work that Mike our our uh audio mixer uh does as a 
mixer. There's a specific <laughs> word for it uh, that they've told me to use. Uh, but I forget. I'm sorry, Mike. Our, the, the, to this. our mic that we have, you know? Yes. <laughs> So C does a ton of work every week preparing for Saturday's stream, uh, taking our pre-recorded tracks and either adding the overlay to it if it hasn't already been added or like just editing. There's so much editing. They just, they edit it. They take out dead space, you know, like they like uh, take out parts that are repetitive. They take out rules arbitration. They take out like math, you know, and (laughs) they squash it down. And they also add background music and sound effects. Uh, And they have gotten really, really, really good at it. Uh, Like the music they choose is, is, it feel like it blends right and it doesn't distract. It's at a good volume and it like adds to the scene. Like I personally, it's always a balance to thread. Right. But I think, I think they do a really, really good job with it. Um, and that is a huge part of it. Honestly, I would say that's all of it. <laughs> really, it's the <laughs> fact that we pre-record and the fact that C edits um, that Mike uh, masters. Um, that's all of it, I would say, in terms of production quality. Uh, and also, like, the art. The art also definitely elevates our stream. We have, like, character, full-body character pieces mm-hmm. for every single PC. That C is also our character artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they drew. <laughs> so, like, you can see, like, you can see, like, the secret sauce is C. So hire C. Give them a ton of money, please. If someone just wants to sponsor C, I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. So pay them like a sat like a hundred thousand dollars. And of course, like in terms of like the narrative quality as well. Um, so, wouldn't you know it? C is also our dramaturg. Uh, what that means is they work with every single of our seven other play- players every week, and they go, "What are your desires for this upcoming recording, and how can I help make that a reality? What are your ideas for your character? Oh, here are my ideas about that. Oh, what if this idea tied into that idea? Like dra- dramaturgy, right? Dram- mm-hmm. Dramaturgical lore keeping work, um, and they do that every week, every week uh, for seven people and themselves and me as a GM. Um, <laughs> it's literally a full time job what they do. Uh, so that's huge. Uh, they do a ton of like the player facing work, so they thread the character drama stories while I thread like the larger like plot stuff, and I like prepare the session itself, right? And I like I facilitate the session when time comes. Um, and a lot of it is also, I think, the mindset is treat like like I mentioned like a million years ago, like treating this like a show, mm-hmm. right? So being on, right? Like taking it seriously, like being mm-hmm. focused, paying attention to scenes that you're not in. Um, you know, staying inside uh, and inhabiting the mind space of your character and responding as your character, as opposed to thinking above the table too much um, and treating it like a, kind of almost like a narrative uh, drama or an audio drama, uh, as opposed to a home game where we're trying to like win, you know, kind of, right? right? Um, so that's a big part of it too. What goes into you, you yourself, getting ready to go on on camera uh, you know because I'm always I'm always impressed by your energy level your focus uh, both your your improvised and written descriptions of stuff uh, and just as someone who who GMs for for a show and just GMs generally and consumes things it is always really cool and impressive it always feels like ah a lot of work has gone into this <laughs> either either actual work or just thinking work or inhabiting NPCs work or whatever. So what does your like week of prep look like? Well, I have a dramaturgy meeting every week uh, with C um, to discuss everything that all the players have brought to them so I can like infuse my prep with it. Um, and outside of that, I also just like prep the session. I usually have a pretty good idea of what the next session is going to look like mm-hmm. um, because I'm pretty good at like planning out and structuring yeah. an arc. So I'll be like, okay, this is the episode where we have a boss fight or like, this is the episode where shit gets heated or like, this is the episode where I'm going to introduce this twist, you know? Um, so I usually have like a general idea of like 
the general thing that's going to happen. Um, and then it's it's prepping it. I have a different Google Doc. I'm a Google Doc GM. I have a different Same. doc uh, for every episode uh, that we do. Uh, so I structure the doc and I populate it and with my notes. Uh, and like if I have any like specific kinds of set pieces or like specific kinds of like moves or or actions or like a villain things, I also I'll also populate them with that. Right. I'll just sit down and like do my little thing. Like I would say maybe. 80% of my prep is the meetings with C uh, and sitting down and just doing it, like just yeah. writing out my prep. And I have like a specific kind of do- way of doing prep, but I, I I needn't go into the granular details here <laughs> uh, uh, if, if, if that's uninteresting or boring. Um, and I would say like maybe 20 to 30% of it is looking at the major NPCs that are going to come up yeah. here and really thinking about their headspace for that particular episode. I'll be mm-hmm. like, okay, this NPC is going to be in this episode. I'm like, there's a 99% chance I'm going to be playing them. What's on their mind right now? How yeah. are they going to be behaving? Uh, and just going through the NPCs and just like thinking about where they are. So in case they come up or in case my players interact with them, I'll be able to switch into them like mm-hmm. like that, like very quickly. And to a greater extent, like what makes them tick? What do they want? What do they need? Right. And how are they different from each other? Um, but that is like a deeper understanding of each NPC. And that's the kind of work I do when I first envision them. Yeah. Um, and this is more for like a, a session to session portrayal of the particular NPC. And of course, the day of recording, I treat it like we're live. Um, I treat it like we have an audience of like however many people watching us. Uh, and I carry that kind of energy with me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I try to like be as engaging um, and active and gesticulative uh, and co- compelling as possible as not just a GM and a facilitator, but also as a performer too. Um, because I'm like, I'm putting on a show for the audience and I'm putting on a show for my, for my players. Mm-hmm. I want my players to be like very interested in what I'm saying yeah. <laughs> and what's going to like come next. Yeah. Right? It's a two way street. So, of being Definitely. interesting, of they need to be interested, but also <laughs> I need to be interesting. Yeah. Yes, exactly. What has it been like for you to be a, you know, kind of super air quotes public figure in the TTRPG space? You know, as much as any of us are are public figures in any in, in any respect, um, but but not just generally, but especially uh, as as a marginalized person who is part of an obviously very proudly, very transparently group of marginalized creators what what is that has that experience been like for you uh, as you've navigated the internet <laughs> yeah yeah for a wheel and for woe yeah uh so it's been a i would say overall positive experience uh i am also very good at curating my social media experience um i will i have like a, a block list like i have like a a uh, extension like a, a Google uh-huh. you know, Chrome extension that lets me block everyone who'd like to tweet, uh, which is best. very powerful. I'm pretty sure my block list is in like the five figures at this point. Um, so that has <laughs> been no, like I'm I'm dead ass. Like that mm-hmm. is that I has been a hundred percent believe it. Yeah, I I am yeah, yeah. giggling in like I love that for you. An affirmation kind yeah. of energy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. exactly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> uh, so that's been huge. So I've been pretty good at curating that experience because. My God, the internet can be ruthless, yeah. especially toward people of color, especially toward trans people, queer people. Yeah. Like very bigoted waters we are sailing. Yes. Um, and a huge refuge for me has been specifically seeking out and making connections with other people of color in the space. So like joining Hutopia from when it like mm-hmm. first started, uh, Hutopia TV, which is like an all Bimpok, you know, for Bimpok, by Bimpok, about Bimpok, uh, a TTRPG variety channel. Um, and, you know, just 
going out of my way not even good because that makes it sound like i've like done extra work it really does not take that much work yeah. to find people of color in the space <laughs> yeah just like fo- follow a few and then the recommended follows will just pop up and just follow them all yeah, like just- that's literally it if you if you are trying to follow more people of color in the space literally just follow me if you haven't already and look at the people that uh i'm following and just follow them like literally yeah. that's all go you down need. the transplanter cast list follow yes, a lot of those folks and, and then just it kind of branches from there easy yeah, for better and for worse, the algorithm really does know the <laughs> kinds of communities you you yeah. care about. So mm-hmm. like if if you happen to just have a lot of people of color on your feed, you're probably doing something right. And if you're just like, well, where are all the people of color? It's only white people. It's probably a you problem, buddy. Yeah. Uh, and you but, need to like do a little bit of But a fixable you problem. Like you can, you can get that taken so care easy. of. Easy. It is so easy to fix. Uh, so that is one part of it is finding my communities, right? Yeah. Uh, like not just Twitter, because Twitter is not a community, but like actual <laughs> communities, yeah. right? The transplaner folks, uh, you know, the specific friends I have uh, and whose friendships I, you know, care about, right? Like that is important. Yep. Um, I would say another part of it is what I said earlier about audiences being hungry for new perspectives, mm-hmm. fresh voices, fresh blood um, is also very true what i have found to be true is people are kind of you know people across all kinds of demographics are really interested in like people want tightly produced like narratively gripping well-performed shows that say interesting things with interesting people and grapple with interesting themes Mm -hmm. and a lot of the times i feel like the people who are best equipped to tell those stories are marginalized people trans people queer people people of color just because our experiences have historically been underrepresented in ttrpgs right so it's it's really a breath of fresh air uh when we come in and tell the kinds of stories only we are truly equipped to tell so that has also been my experience as well i have found that overall Companies I've worked with, people I've interacted with, have been very encouraging of and optimistic about and supportive of this change uh, from the kind of Good. like OSR, from like the, you know, the old guard of, you know, cis white dudes who, you know, make questionable content. End of, uh, end of yeah, we all know we're just nodding and be like, you know, yeah, those ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those dudes. Yeah, the dudes. Boogie, woogie, woogie. Um <laughs> You know, people are hungry for change and people, you know, a lot of people out there are genuine about the change too, right? And and like authentically trying to push for it. I think the folks at Dimension 20 are one of the best vanguards of this change. Like I truly think that what Brennan and Orion and all of those people are doing, pushing for is coming from a genuine place and they are not just talking the talk, they are walking the walk, you know, just like look at their casts for like up, you know, their shows in like the past, you know, recent series and seasons right like it's it's it feels very um encouraging uh and i feel very lucky to be right now i think in a very good position because i'm you know i'm a trans person of color i'm a trans chinese american gm and i also think that i'm quite good at what i do and i'm very proud of what i do uh and i enjoy what i do a lot uh you know and i think that matters and that counts for something right but also uh there has also been a lot of bad things too right like youtube comments are literally the wild (laughs) west um it's just it's just a especially as an all transgender channel uh in this era of like massive transphobic and anti-trans legislation of vitriol uh mounting hate uh in like pretty much every corner of the world um that has been interesting. I've been pretty good at deleting comments and blocking people. Curating um, and experience, always Yes, key. curating our experience on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is 
felt. And I am also aware that outside of this bubble I've built for myself, outside of this like encouraging yeah. like sphere, which I've very intentionally built, there is a sea of bigotry out there too, right? Like just look at the freaking Amazon reviews for Radiant Citadel, right? I'm like, <laughs> have any of you even read the book? Because, you know, as just, yeah. if you want to talk objectively, just objectively as an adventure book, like it is one of the best that yeah. Watsi has put out in recent yeah. years. Just It's just a really high quality. Yeah. Um, but people are really you bombing it just because there are hateful, bigoted, racist, transphobic people out there uh, who think TTRPGs is their own little bastion of like racism. Um, and they get angry when people are like, hey, you actually can't be racist anymore in your game, you know? Uh, so that has also been like something to deal with and witness. Absolutely. I, I think I have just one more main question. Um, and well, I have, again, I have 1400 still backup questions, but just for the sake of time and just, I think, because it feels like the right time to, to ask it, you know, you've been doing this for two, two, two years and change now. Uh, you are winding down, at least on the back end of your first flagship thing. Um, you have been all over the place. You've, you've been quoted in the New York times and, and you can, can answer this with the scope that you choose to. What what has this experience meant to you? Having an audience, having a receptive audience who I presume are seeing themselves in TTRPGs in a way that they often do not, of you creating this sort of thing, of building an audience. Like what what has what has that been like for you? What um, you know, good, ill, or or otherwise? This experience has meant everything to me. Um it has been a truly incredible journey so far um, that I feel like baffled in like a really good way and a really scary way to be a part of. Um, and it's, it's always so weird to me to think that I have any kind of audience at all. Yeah. Like I'm aware of it. Like my Virgo rising is like, yes, and we have to do this, you know, and like create our audience this way. But like, you know, deep inside my Sagittarius moon is like, <laughs> Bruh, I was just sort of here to have a good time. Like, yeah. what the hell's happening? <laughs> like, what's happening? <laughs> uh, it, it feels a little bit like, um, it's it feels really good because uh, it, I I feel very it's what any you know ostensibly what a lot of creatives want right is to find an audience for the things yeah. we make uh, who uh, see what we're trying to do and say this is cool and this is worth something and I'm here and I'm listening mm -hmm. and that is. That means the entire world to me. Uh, it means literally everything, um, which also makes it scary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because especially now in like, yeah, in like the, the era of internet, um, it feels, it almost, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I could, at any point I could lose it, you know, like at any point, anything could just shift and everything could change, you know, or like I could just, what, what if I just lose the momentum and there's mm -hmm. nothing I can do to get it back, right? Like there are these, and I, that could happen. Mm -hmm. Like, and it, you know, and the scariest thing is it could be out of my control, mm -hmm. right? So like, that's also scary. You know, I'm trying to ride the momentum. I'm trying to be smart about it. I'm trying to like, you know, repel us up, 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 up. But like, it's, <laughs> it's also scary when I feel like it's not just me, right? It's yeah. also my partner. It's also my cast. Um, it's also the Discord server with the transplaner community I've built. And I don't want to let people down. You know, like, I don't want to let myself down. I don't want to let my partner down. I don't want to let my cast down. I don't want to let my audience down um, in terms of, like, the quality of the show we produce or, like, anything else, really. Mm -hmm. um, so I think 
this has been a uh, an incredible journey and it has also been an incredible lesson uh, not just in terms of like production lessons and creative lessons and like this is how i can be a better gm but also in terms of like social lessons too like learning to hold um kind boundaries for mm -hmm. myself and for other people as well because i used to just sort of like take on as many opportunities and things that i could regardless if it was paid or not regardless of the platform of the person reaching out to me because i was just like i just felt so privileged and honored that people yeah. were reaching out to me in the first place but like it wasn't really until my partner pointed out like connie you are burning the candle at both ends like you need to like protect yourself like and not out of like meanness or like i think of i'm too course. good for someone uh, but because i'm just like i really can't i'm doing mm -hmm. so much already i'm about to start a full-time job like i have to set my priorities straight i can't take everything you know that comes my way and i feel really bad like forgetting to get back to people um because my brain is a sieve right <laughs> i'm not never ever trying to be like a dick or anything like that it's just it literally just slips past my fingers and if you reach out to me and i haven't gone back to you please do reach out to me again <laughs> over dms because i literally i just forget i'm so sorry i just forget. very unrelatable um, connie i've never had that experience <laughs> before personally as a person who also gets dms i never forget anything it never just disappears if i'm not actively looking at it no that's oh de that's, definitely that's not. what a strange that's, that's never the case. <laughs> and, and maybe difficult experience that would be hmm. <laughs> yeah no no exactly so um that's that's been a, a lesson and, and that's that's been an experience too mm -hmm. is like knowing that like being like hey i really can't do this but thank you so much for reaching out to me like please yeah. reach out to me in the future is like actually okay to say yeah. uh because i used to be like like, I don't want to say no to this person, right? Um, so that's been a part of it too. Um, but yeah, just overall, it's been everything. And I'm just going to like keep doing the thing, see where this takes us. I have high hopes. I'm very optimistic. I would say I'm an idealist in some ways uh, about Transplaner and about, you know, my own journey in the space. And I really just want to like take this as far as it can go. Um, yeah. and try to do right by, you know, the, the people who are watching me uh, and the people who care about me. Where do you, where do you hope that it goes? Do you have, you know, do you have concrete ideas yet? Or do you have concrete ideas that you feel comfortable saying out loud to me slash to people listening? <laughs> I have some little butterfly <laughs> nebulous hopes mm -hmm. that I'm, I really want to actualize. Um, and I'm afraid of saying. Yep. Uh, no pressure. This is not a gotcha, fronts. gotcha kind of interview. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I. I'm mostly afraid to say some things because I I don't want to jinx it. That's yeah. part of it. I'm kind yep. of superstitious. I don't want to jinx it. And also because I feel like it might happen. Question mark. Like my fingers are crossed. I really, really want it to happen. And like a part of me is like, if you say it, you don't. It's not gonna. Uh, or, you know, I don't know anything about anything. I, I live in ignorance uh, and I don't know what's okay for me to say and what's not. So I'm, I'm just to be safe, I'm not gonna say anything. Connie, I, um, I will, I am not going to be the reason. This show is not going to be the reason that you jinx yourself. So like, I, I am... 10,000% behind the vague, like, I don't know. I sure hope that this thing happens. Yes. That yes. Is, I sure, I that's exactly where I am. Yeah. I can say that. For sure. I sure hope cool things will happen in my and Transplanter's future and the futures of my cast members as well, because yeah. they're all so incredible and amazing. Um, more generally speaking, I don't know. I, I guess it would be a five to 10 year goal, maybe five to seven, five to seven, let's say, uh, to, <laughs> to start like a, or to join or to do some sort of like, have like a live studio 
Because that would be mm. a game changer. I would love to record shit live to either yeah. like furnish my house uh, <laughs> or like rent out a space or something uh, where we can actually put on like a live production or have access to a live studio. I think that is a goal, like a tangible concrete thing I really, really want. Yeah. I think that's the only thing, honestly, that would elevate our production to the next level. Mm-hmm. Aside from having like a full-time video editor who's not C because they yeah, need right, yeah. <laughs> right, that, that would be the next logical step, but like the 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 dream right would to be have like a studio space um so that would be that would be something i would strive for you know because i think that's that's where i'm from i'm from theater i'm Mm -hmm. from improv i'm from live performance on a stage uh and i think that's where i would thrive because Mm -hmm. video calls are great i love the accessibility of you know internet interviews Mm -hmm. and like internet play you know like uh, actual plays, but there's something about the electricity yeah, of an in-person I, performance that you, I, I'm sorry, you just cannot capture uh, through a Discord call. Yeah, um, it's tough. Yeah, it's it's very tough, especially if there's video involved, right? Yes. I feel like a podcaster's it's a little bit more like var- variable, but like, yeah, that would that would be the next move. Out of out of out of respect, both for for brain sieves and time. I think, Connie, I think, I think if you're, if you're like emotionally equipped, you have steeled your will accordingly. It is now time for the lightning round of the Reckless Let's do it. Uh, Let's do it. I tell everyone the same spiel. Uh, There are no wrong answers. Everyone gets the same questions. It can be a one word answer and I will give an appropriate respectful pause to be like, oh, okay. (laughs) That's all he's going to say. Great. Uh, Or you could launch into a tangent. Also great. You say what you want to say. I'm not adding anything to it. And also, yeah, I can't think of anything right now. Also, legitimate answer. Uh, It is up to you. Also, no time limit, nothing like that. It is, I am merely handing you paintbrushes to paint whatever sort of lightning round experience that you wish to paint. Let's do this. Let's paint something. Question one. Is your glass half full or half empty? Full. What excites you? Creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Dark fantasy, killing gods, butch lesbians with fucked up emotions, cats, frogs, uh, Chinese fantasy, uh, diasporic horror, body horror, violence, fantasy violence, and... um, Tragedy. I feel like I want to just get that tattooed on my arm, like the entire (laughs) response. What does not excite you creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Oppression, uh, (laughs) racism, sexism, transphobia, uh, heteronormativity, homophobia. I might've said that already, but I'm going to say it again. It's worth Um, saying. (laughs) Colonialism in games, uh, in creation, in media, uh, Orientalist approaches to fantasy, to world building, um, normative approaches, normy, normy stuff, normy <laughs> stuff. I'm gonna say normy stuff. Uh, all white tables, <laughs> all white tables, tables of all white people and all, all white men. Uh, I would also say nihilism, climate nihilism, artistic nihilism. It's very uninteresting to me, um, as well as like any sort of like shock value Mm. jamming Mm -hmm. what's your favorite sound why is the first sound that came into my head buoy uh that is not (laughs) that is 
not my favorite sound. This that is a no judgment zone, zone <laughs> Connie, you know? We let all our guests respond appropriately. Sometimes it's wildly inappropriate. Sometimes it's just weird shit that their brain just inputted. So whatever you feel speaks to your soul. <laughs> Listen, that's I don't want that to be my favorite fair. sound on the record, that's though, fair. to be fair, Nathan. Um, my favorite sound varies, uh, but I will say right now it's probably... Um, uh, in Rose Colored Boy by Paramore, when <laughs> Haley William first starts and like the, the soundtrack is like, do, 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 do. And she goes, Rose Colored Boy. That part, that boy, when she says it for the first time, that's my favorite sound. <laughs> yeah. What sound do you hate? Ooh. Well, the obvious is nails on a chalkboard. Uh, can't stand it. I also do not like violin strings, even mm. if they're not screeching. Just even any sort of high-pitched mm. when we're on that E string, I think is what it is. Mm -hmm. Any sort of high-pitched violin string, even if it's by a virtuoso, by someone who's like really good, I can't stand it. I cannot stand it. Yeah. It's just too high for me. What is your favorite word? <sighs> I have several. I have several. This is your uh, this is your space and time. I like the word convergence. Mm. I like the word mythology, mm -hmm. synthesis, mm. affluence. That's a fun word for me. Um, desiderium, wraith, yeah, and crow. What is your least favorite word? sperm i guess <laughs> panties panties and sperm yeah uh panties has has been said before on reckless at all yeah. <laughs> i hate it it's so infantilizing it's not oh, good okay this is controversial and no this is not a knock on you if you use it at all this is just a, <laughs> i just don't like it to be referred to me at yep. all in any way i just don't like it i do not like the word envy to describe mm. a non-binary, like to describe myself as a non-binary person. I, I don't like it. And I have my reasons for it, but I don't have to get into them. What tabletop role-playing game or D&D &D monster, which of course can be, uh, <laughs> you know, understood a variety of ways, have you not faced or run that you would love to? Um, Honestly, like a gelatinous cube. Oh, it's so fun. I've not faced or run a gelatinous cube. I have also not faced or run a mimic. Uh, and I would love to. I don't think I have to. either, actually. I don't think I've ever <laughs> used a mimic. It's such a classic monster, but I've never done it. A mimic, a gelatinous cube. Um, I honestly have not faced or truly run an owlbear. I've like... Oh given a character an owlbear as a yeah. mount, uh, but it not as like any sort of encounter before. Uh -huh. Like that could be fun. Um, and I've also not faced or run like any sort of like, what, I, what is this? <laughs> what am I trying to get at? What is I, this? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm into it. And I also want to run this monster. I don't know yeah, this, what the claw stomping hands are. I'm just, waving my my hands up and down in a claw-like formation yeah. so whatever that is yeah Got i i would all that immediately sold uh can i pre-order <laughs> can i kickstart like the monster <laughs> book or whatever needs to happen to make that real done sold what is your favorite adventure of all time <sighs> 
And it can be a D&D adventure. It can be a pre-written thing. It can be something you watched. It can be something you ran or experienced or a movie that you really love. Oh, God. Um, I don't ever really do modules. So this is a hard question for me. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've homebrewed a lot of adventures. Yeah. And I would say, I have okay, two, two answers. One of them is for Transplaner in terms of my fate. It's hard for me to pick favorites for arcs, <laughs> but in terms of just like level design, I guess, like yeah. in terms of just narrative design, um, one of my favorite arcs is definitely arc four, uh, which is like a murder mystery arc set in a royal palace. But the kind of twist is that the person who will be murdered, the victim, uh, is a prophet. So they saw their own murder in advance, um, but they don't know who the murderer is. And they suspect that it's one of their eight wives. Uh, so like that, you know, and like, and they can't investigate it on their own. Uh, so the PCs have to go around and like try to like interrogate the wives without setting off any alarms. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that I ran it, like the twist I introduced, um, like the various set pieces were very fun. And I'm very proud of the way that I structured it, I think. So that's my favorite adventure uh, uh, so far in the arc, in the arcs that have come out. Because I can't really, because I have my favorites too of the arcs that haven't yet premiered. Um, but those, that's definitely one of my favorites. Um, in terms of, just generally speaking, in terms of media, I really enjoy the plot of Snowpiercer. Um, mm -hmm. I also really enjoy the plot and the twist I think the break into Act Three uh, of Mad Max Fury Road when they decided yeah. to turn around and go mm -hmm. back to the Citadel. I thought that that blew my fucking mind the first time I saw it. Um, what else? Uh, I think Get Out is just a fantastically written screenplay um, where every beat hits. Uh, so I study it as honestly a masterpiece of screenwriting. Um, I really enjoy uh the themes of spirited away and the growth that the main character shihiro goes through like she grows so much and it's incredible to witness and i love it uh and i also really like obviously everything everywhere all at once it's my new favorite movie um it's it's <laughs> literally in my mind a perfect movie it does everything perfectly it pushes the boundaries you know artistically but it also has such a strong story with grounding characters that make you mm -hmm. give a shit um that is it's it's honestly like a master class for me in terms of directing acting screenwriting everything um that's my answer what is your favorite tabletop role-playing game character of all time and again can be interpreted any way that you choose to interpret it the favorite NPC I've ever embodied. Oh, this is so hard. I have yeah. two. I have I have several, but these are my top <laughs> two that I'm thinking of. One of them is Kane, uh, who is a beautiful tiefling. Uh, of course, it's, it's my it, one of my genders. Uh, beautiful <laughs> tiefling, uh, who is like a murder tiefling, is what we call them. They start as a villain, uh, but they become like an antihero uh, as the players befriend them and like show them that there's another way. So like playing Kane, and they're so flamboyant. They're just so fun to play. Um, so that's my one of my favorite NPCs to play and embody. One of my other favorite NPCs that I've ever played or embodied uh, would be Doctor Luso, who has been. In, in The Second Stranger since arc one, episode like three or something. Um, they are a major, major NPC and their story is one that I've set up since the first act that is finally coming to a head in arc eight. And I'm so <laughs> excited. I'm like so excited about it. And my players... You know, it's, it's, I don't, you know, for lack of spoiling anything, yep. like it's, it's just been, it's been amazing to just play through them. Um, generally speaking, uh, this is more archetype, but I love a good anti-villain 
slash antihero. I love a good complicated villain. I love a good like villain who's doing something for very human and relatable motivations, but the way they're doing it uh, is questionable or they feel like they've exhausted all options. You know, I love a villain who in their their story and their mind is a, is a hero or at the very least a victim, um, mm-hmm. but in a way that isn't like, I want to genocide everyone and I'm a victim because yeah. I think that's a very like uh, fascistic and normative <laughs> way of dealing with villainy. Like I'm less interested in that. Um, I'm a lot more interested in like genuine moral complications in villains yeah. who are in some ways actually genuinely redeemable, which is also why I don't put racism into my game because I think if you have a racist villain, they can never be redeemable. And if you like, yeah, anyway, I, I have other thoughts, but I, I'm going to stop the tangent there. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Last question. Connie, what gives you hope? <sighs> One of them is definitely my partner. Uh, I got to shout them out, see Thomas, uh, at Pyshire Part on Twitter. <laughs> they give me a lot of hope about everything. Myself, transplaner, the world. Um, so that's that's one very strong answer. Uh, the other is the friends I've made and the people I've met who believe in me, um, who support me, uh, who encourage me, uh, and who like are are truly like I can tell are like truly invested in me uh, as like a creator and as mm-hmm. as a person too. Like that means a lot. That gives me hope. And generally speaking. So starting from when I was in, in, in high school or so, like uh, 14, 15, I have always been a strong proponent against adultism and for like youth power. <laughs> and I'm 25 now and I'm, I, I am still very much a strong proponent against adultism and for youth power. And I truly do believe that like young, young people uh, who are attuned to like the injustices and the inequities of the world and want to do something about it, especially if it's through an artistic way, like that gives me hope. Like I see like the really awesome dope things that young folks and younger mm-hmm. folks than me are like putting out there. And I feel so much hope. Right. And my peers as well. Right. Um, that gives me a lot of hope. Just like the other really dope, cool trans people of color, queer people of color in the space who are, who are fucking killing the game. Like there are so many of us out there who are just killing it and doing such incredible things that it really does give me hope for like the future of ttrpgs uh and the future of the world like i am cautiously but also pragmatically optimistic i think about it connie congratulations you have made it you have made it to the end of the uh of the dungeon that is reckless to talk uh as as a you know a gesture of of appreciation and goodwill could you please uh, tell everyone again uh, who you are, where to find you, how best to support you. Absolutely. It has been a total pleasure, Nathan. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I have been Connie. My pronouns are they, he, and she. You can find me all across the internet at by Connie Chong. That's B-Y-C-O-N-N-I-E-C-H-A-N-G. Uh, as I've blabbed about for a million years uh, on, on this segment, I am the GM and creative producer for Trans Planar RPG, which is, of course, an all-transgender uh, POC-led dark fantasy D&D show. So you can follow Trans Planar on 
all social media platforms, Twitch, YouTube, any sort of podcast situation, uh, Twitter at TransplanarRPG. That's T-R-A-N-S, like a trans person. Uh, planar as an in interplanar travel. So P-L-A-N-A-R RPG. Uh, and that's been me. Uh, I've, I'll pass things back to you, Nathan. This has been such a joy and pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, it was wonderful. You are definitely a person in the space who I greatly admire, enjoy, respect all the things. So this was was uh, genuine joy for me as well. I really appreciate it. We'll have all of the links in the show notes for anyone uh, who is interested. But otherwise, Connie, thank you and have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you so much. Uh, is is there any sort of like reckless a talk sign off that you uh, do? Uh, no, it, no, it is it is it is vague uh, in much in the same way of of starting kind of in the weird like uh, you know I lead see, in. I it's see, also kind of like a weird fade out. So uh, please deliver a classic Connie catchphrase to, oh, sure. to take it to take <laughs> us out. You know that'll be the uh, the, the button. <laughs> Completely out of context. Uh, thanks so much for listening, Nathan. Thank you so much for having me on and Spizo. Bezo. No notes. <laughs> <laughs>